The Start. On Demand. demand. Greg Mackling, Loren McNabb with you. Brett McGarry is on vacation today. I don't know if he's left the country. Well, no, he hasn't left the country, but he will be back with us tomorrow. Greg Mackling, Loren McNabb, Kelly Moore, and Jeff Braun, along with Jeffrey Forche, bringing you the program this morning. Happy Monday to you. Thanks for spending some of your day with us. Hopefully it's a good start to uh, what's going to be a continue. <laughs> it's going to get colder as we make our way through the week. And uh, Kelly, I know you're pretty active in terms of making sure you've got your winter tires on. You're all you're all set. All set and ready to go. Right on. Good to see you, Kel. Mm-hmm. Uh, rivalries. I went into the Google machine. I just typed up best rivalries. And inevitably it comes down to sport. But there are other types of rivalry. But what are the best rivalries? Betty in versus sport? Veronica. I said that. I <laughs> oh, agree. Yeah. Well, like, just, well just there you go. That's me. it. It comes down to sports and Betty versus and Veronica. Archie comics. Yeah. <laughs> Don't forget about the Hatfield and McCoys. They, I, that's uh, true. Yeah, the Hatfields and McCoys had uh, the pretty good one going. But in terms of sports rivalries, I was thinking, okay, you know, here in our own backyard, it's pretty hard to find anything more intense than the Bombers and the Rough Riders. I think the best. At least in my opinion, the best sports rivalry, Boston and the Yankees. Mm-hmm. I've seen it up close and personal. The hatred that uh, fans have for each other. Like hatred? You'd act like there's genuine hate? hatred. Yes. yes. I've um, seen it as well. I was at opening day at Yankee Stadium about <laughs> five years ago. The Red Sox were in town. And things started off really easygoing, fun-loving, on. back and forth. But then when the Red Sox got up by five runs, the Red Sox fans were immediately targeted by other fans. And I saw a Red Sox fan get thrown out of the game because all of a sudden in the seventh inning when the Yankees were down by seven runs, his shirt was offensive because it was calling out the Yankees on some of their ridiculousness <laughs> over the years. Well, I would say I don't think the Bombers-Riders rivalry has been, has there been hate? No. I don't think so. In you think maybe? Genuine Greg, dislike, like, but I don't know about hatred. I don't know. I hate them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but not like you're going to get violent about it. That's okay. But yeah, but you welcome Weston Dressler with open arms. Yeah, well, because he defected. He yeah. came from the bad <laughs> yeah. guys. He came to yeah. the good guys. He made the best decision of his life. I, and I would say the best sports rivalry on this side of the 49th, uh, with all due respect to Montreal Canadiens and Toronto Maple Leaf yeah, supporters, yeah. but I think uh, Calgary and Edmonton uh, in the NHL. It just it's it is an incredible rivalry. Well, you see it in the CFL yeah. a little bit as well, but yeah. you're right. The Battle yeah. of Alberta is legendary, and over the years, it has been absolutely extraordinary at different times. Uh, Jeff Braun. Um, well, globally, there must be some soccer rivalries, right? Without question. Are, but, oh yeah, but that must be. Uh, growing up. Small town Altona, I believe I've mentioned this before. We had rivalry with Winkler, yeah. one town over. And uh, honest, honestly, uh, raised to hate the Winklerites we were. And <laughs> I remember vividly our junior high basketball coach saying, I don't care if we win or lose any games mm-hmm. all season, we do not lose to Winkler. Wow. We did extra practices the week of the Winkler game. And I, I, I can't remember if we won or <laughs> lost or not. What I'm sure we lost because they had... It's, by then, it was a way bigger town than our town. What about so. Morden? Did you hate Morden too? Morden, well, Morden, no, well, yeah, we hated all the little towns rivalry wise, but I think, but Winkler Morden, that uh-huh. rivalry is even bigger than the Winkler Altona. We had the same thing, Minnedosa, or a little bit at least in high school, was Minnedosa versus Nipua, which I could never figure out. Like, I think it was more of like whose town is nicer. You know, they're both, I think they're both beautiful towns, and so yeah. ours is in the valley, and theirs is, they, yeah. they got the McDonald's and the Dairy Queen and all those kinds of things. <laughs> but we never played sports against them. Like, we weren't in the same school division in terms of your school sports, so I couldn't figure out why 
that, that, that existed. But there'd be some Friday Just nights people would be like, we should go to Nibawah. But, <laughs> but, but it wasn't for the ice cream. I was like, uh, what are you going to do when you get there? Like, Just shake our fists out the window? But that was a thing. Oh. When we were teenagers, we used to drive to Winkler and make fun of them. Just for just, fun. Just walk, drive around and laugh at, look at that idiot over there and like stuff like that. Like Springfield and Shelbyville, right? Yeah, the exactly. same thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Coyote and the Roadrunner, <laughs> if you want to keep the cartoon thing going, that was, that was a good one. That was one of our listeners at 780-6868. I always loved that. Me, <laughs> I always lose. Me versus Lotto Max. <laughs> You're not alone there with that one. Yeah, you have to win every once in a while for it to be a rivalry. That's, That's right. What, and the yeah. other the other part has to give a darn that there's anything going on. Uh, keep those rivalries coming at 780-6868. Mackling, no McGarry. McNabb is here. It is the start. Thanks, uh, fellas, for joining us this morning, having coffee talking. I'm Greg Mackling. She is Loren McNabb. Brett McGarry has the day off. Brett, hope you're enjoying your day, and I hope you are as well. Thanks for spending some time with us this morning and kick off your week. We were talking about rivalries the last half hour, Loren. We've got a ton of text message here. Just want to highlight a few of those at 780-6868. Kristen, loyal listener, says, I think we all know that the ultimate rivalry is cats versus dogs. And then another listener wrote in to say the Greg greatest softball rivalry, Dog River versus Woolerton, spits on floor. <laughs> Popeye versus Bluto has come come up more than once. The right and the left. We're seeing the Democrats versus the Republicans in the United States and all sorts of other rivalries. So keep those coming. This, of course, on the premise that uh, Winnipeg, Blue Bombers, Saskatchewan, Rough Riders, ultimate rivals in the CFL, will go head-to-head this Sunday in the Western semifinal. We'll speak with Bob Irving at 8.07 to look back on Saturday's game in Edmonton and look forward to this playoff game. The first time the Blue Bombers have visited Regina for a playoff game since 1975. But first, we start this half hour with the rivalry between pedestrians and vehicles. Yeah, it's something that we've been talking a lot about that, about what we've experienced. And, you know, later this hour, you mentioned we're going to talk right versus left, Republicans versus Democrats. We're going to talk public versus private when it comes to the privatization, potential privatization of uh, air ambulance services in Manitoba. And some doctors are pretty uh, upset about what might be happening there. And so we're going to delve into that. But this is one that we can all relate to. If you drive to work, then you might have a time where you're sort of shaking your fist at the pedestrian out the window. And if you walk to work, you might have a similar experience with the car. We were telling you this morning about the Greater Toronto area where over a 24-hour period, they saw 17 collisions between pedestrians and cars. And of course, one was a fatality. That's right. Andrew Swanson is the executive director of Winnipeg Trails. And he says that this is part of the broad, a broader issue. And he joins us now. Poor weather conditions, reduced daylight and pedestrians not using intersections. Some of the things being blamed for this rash of incidents between pedestrians and vehicles in the GTA. Anders, is it really that simple? Well, you know, this is, first of all, I think what's really important to say is that um, uh, it's not as simple as coming down to um, different people as well. It's really important to remember that as soon as I get out of my car, I got to walk somewhere. So um, I think that that dichotomy and that that difference and that split between people is something that we really got to look at. But no, that's something that's been happening um, over the last five decades. Um, um, Yeah, it's, it's become a really serious issue. 
You raise a good point, Anders, because I was saying, you know, if, if I drive to work, I might have that moment where I'm conflicting or feeling feeling uh, at odds with the cyclist or the pedestrian. But I do get out of my car and then I cross the street and then I'm on the opposite side, annoyed that a car may have not paid enough attention to me. You were on Twitter this weekend talking about sort of the rash of collisions in Toronto, but you're a Winnipegger, you're from Winnipeg. What do you see here when it comes to that whole mentality of still not being able to say, you know, why can't we all just get along on the roads? Um, honestly, I, I think uh, it's, it's, um, it makes me really sad. Um, it makes me really sad because if you think about it, um, well, for one, I was a really bad driver when I was 11. Um, and, uh, and I like to think that my kids, when they go to school, um, um, should be safe and free to go. So, and, and, and most people, most people in Winnipeg, um, would agree with that. And I think we sometimes need to take a, a quick, a quick break, a pause in our thinking and, and just remember why it is that we live in cities in the first place. Um, the whole, the whole point of living in a, in a city and the whole reason why we're driving places and the whole, whole reason why we gather together is, um, um, to enjoy ourselves really. And, um, and you just can't do that flying around at 50 kilometers an hour, um, um, while putting other people's lives at dangers. And there's a better way. And the beautiful thing about it is, and, uh, if I recall, Greg, I was speaking to Twitter, you're in Helsinki. Um, Helsinki is a beautiful city for walking. It's, 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 it's in many ways puts that forward and it's a, it's a winter city just like the rest. And, but it was designed in a way, um, and then they've made decisions, conscious decisions, uh, to put people first uh, in the way they they design and build their roads. They absolutely do, and transit is so easy to use. There's uh, separation between pedestrians and vehicular traffic. Anders, they've got a bike and pedestrian freeway that runs, crisscrosses uh, the north and south, east and west, uh, that they've just invested in over the last uh, decade or so. Uh, it's an incredible dichotomy between here and Winnipeg. There's no, or there and Winnipeg, there's no question. Where are you off to today, Anders? Uh, you know, actually, uh, I'm, uh, I'm going to be going to Ottawa to, um, I've had to do that a few times lately because we're, what we're, really hoping for is that Canada realizes that other countries and other cities and um, basically there's a worldwide movement uh, um, to put the, the rights of human beings in the transportation system first, uh, whether it's for cycling or walking or uh, universal design, so people pushing a stroller using wheelchair, um, and uh, making sure that we have a national approach to that. See, one of the things that we've, we, we, we tend to do as human beings, we tend to overcomplicate things. Um, uh, because actually walking is extremely powerful as a form of transportation. It's extremely popular. A lot of people do it. Um, and, and we've kind of designed it out of our lives. And one of the things that you need to do is, 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 is basically plan for it. And, uh, um, you, you know, if, if you get too carried away with, uh, um, the more complicated things, all of a sudden you've gotten robot vehicles, um, and, and yet we, we, uh, we, we can't let our kids walk to school and that's just not right. It's not the way the whole world is going. Um, and, um, we think Canada, if, you know, if, if we're going to meet our obligations, whether it's, uh, to the environment, uh, to our own citizens for healthcare, um, we need to do some of the simplest things, right? So yeah, that's why I'm going there. You're, you're going to Ottawa, Anders, with the Winnipeg Trails Association to sort of appeal to officials there to take cycling and pedestrian safety and driving more seriously. Is this really, though, about infrastructure or the, can we have all the right infrastructure in the world? And if we don't have the right mentality to say, I'm going to slow down and treat everybody more kindly, if you will, then we're not going to get anywhere. You know, honestly, here's the beautiful thing is that you're off the hook. Um, and what I mean by that is, 
Um, there is no such thing as a mentality. Um, if you've if you've gone to another place, like for for example, like um, and Greg was just talking about Helsinki, but you might as well be France. Uh, you know, France is invested in in uh, twenty kilometer and thirty kilometer hour zones, and those are designed. What I mean by that is that, like for example, I got a speeding ticket driving through a uh, um, uh, a school zone uh, a couple months ago, and, and I work every day on children's mobility and safety, and um, uh, and I'm going to play that pay that gladly. But at the same time, I know that I wouldn't have got that school that ticket. Um, if the road had been designed for me to realize that I shouldn't be going that speed. And it's just quite simple. Like um, there, there is a way to do it so that nobody has speeding tickets, for example, um, while at the same time traffic flows better and we're all actually doing a safe speed that is physically, technically, from a pure physics standpoint, um, safer for people to walk and cross the street. Even things like making sure that an elderly person doesn't have to cross four lanes of Portage Avenue um, without having, without getting a break in between. Um, it's things like those little simple things like that, that we uh, in Winnipeg so far have forgotten to do. And it's led to a culture of moving too quickly. And it's, it's a culture that's built. Uh, it honestly has nothing to do with decisions that you or me make or whether we're a bad person or whether we need to pay a little bit more attention because it's patterned. And when things are patterned, that means that there's something underlying it that you can change. Well, we're going to leave it there. Anders, uh, thank you very much for this. Anders Swanson, Executive Director of Winnipeg Trails, on his way to Ottawa to extend this conversation. I walked over 100 kilometres in my time in Helsinki. I stayed in a residential area. I was concerned that I was going to have a hard time getting to where I needed to go. Things couldn't, that couldn't be further from the truth. We'll talk about that a little bit more extensively. And a winter city, you should mention, just like And a winter like city that gets to 30 below for, for days, if not weeks at a time in Helsinki. And they, um, they just have a commitment to putting people first. Well, they also have a commitment to taking half of your income and putting it. Absolutely. Like it's a 50% tax without, rate, I think. Absolutely, they do. And they don't drive more, uh, the speed limit in a residential area, 40 kilometers per hour. Lots of things that we could learn. Thank you again, Anders. Good luck in Ottawa. Start, we'll talk about the midterms, the U.S. midterms. It's being called the most important midterm election in U.S. history, Loren. Yeah, and it sounds like in many cases the politics of fear are really kind of front and center for tomorrow's November 5th, 6th vote, with immigration and race being used to stoke the Republican base in ways that some critics say actually harken back to another era. Global's Washington reporter Reggie Cicchini is in Washington and joins us now. Good morning, Reggie. Good morning. So is that true? And the whole line of immigration and race sort of stoking the flames, are we hearing a lot of that in the final hours? Well, that's what we've been hearing now for the last several months as we head into the final hours of this debate, uh, whether it's at state level races, whether it's for governor, whether it's words that the president has been using, whether it's rhetoric that the president has been saying. The issue and idea of race being used in this election is something that uh, a lot of critics are calling out, saying is unnecessary, is gross, uh, shouldn't be used. It, it has no place in politics and across the United States. And it's something that could resonate when voters go to the polls or for those 30 million plus who have already cast a ballot 
ballot in pre-voting. Now, Reggie, we've been talking about a proposal in the Winnipeg School Division here to to be more inclusive in terms of who can vote in, in school trustee elections and maybe even overall at some point. It's a discussion we're going to have. They're going to have the Winnipeg School Division. It's impossible to ignore the stories coming out of the U.S. where there are rules and regulations and laws coming into place that is making it more difficult for people to vote. It's mind-boggling to me in the world's quote-unquote greatest democracy that they're doing this. Absolutely, and it's what's called voter suppression, and we're seeing it across a lot of states right now, uh, notably one of them being in North Dakota, where uh, some of the uh, the native people across North Dakota have been uh, not allowed to cast a ballot because they don't have addresses on their, on their identification cards, and the state wouldn't allow them to cast a ballot without having an ID or without having an address on their card. So there's now a push to get thousands and thousands and thousands of people identification that has a street address on it to allow them to vote. Uh, then you go down to Georgia, where it's already uh, been a controversial uh, uh, election campaign between uh, the two gubernatorial candidates down there. The the Republican running for governor in Atlanta is also the secretary of state for Georgia. So what we're seeing is a potential round of voter suppression there where it's called exact match. When you bring your ID in, it has to match exactly what is on the voter record right down to how the signature looks. And thousands upon thousands of people, again, have been denied an ability to cast a ballot most of the them being from uh, different segments of the population, like the African-American community and the Latin community. So there's a big push now to try and say, look, if everyone has an ability to vote in this country, they should be allowed to, no matter what the differences are on their ID cards. Talking about the impact that might have on voter turnout, I have been reading, though, that it seems like the lines in, in advanced voting were really huge or there's a big push. It sounds like we're going to have maybe more or a record number of voters or what people might think might be a record number. Does that wave in favor of one side over the other? Well, both sides are going to look at it and say this could be our people that are out voting for our party right now. But regardless of who they're voting for, this is massive. To have 30 million plus uh, ballots cast in advance voting in a midterm is huge because for the most part, this is already uh, larger than the numbers that vote in total by the time you get to Election Day in midterms past. So Democrats are looking at it saying this is huge. These are numbers that are helping us get out there. We've got to try and stop what's happening in Washington with the president's rhetoric, with the way that legislation is working right now. We need to get our uh, get the vote out and get help. House members elected because that'll allow us to put a bit of a check and balance on Washington. Republicans are saying, look, the president has done a great job. We have tax cuts right now. We have better jobs and better economic numbers than we've had in years and years across the U.S. And that's why we need to get our Republican voters out to put us and keep us in office. So both sides are using the massive push in early and advanced voting for their own use. Is his name's not on the ballot. You're not voting for the U.S. president tomorrow in the United States. But are, is that going to be the deciding factor for most people? Is that what it sounds like? Deciding whether or not they, you enjoy what he's doing or you want to try to find a way to, to at least slow him down in the House? Yeah, well, look, you'd never know that this wasn't a presidential election based on how the president's been acting over the last couple of months. Because, look, when he goes to do a stump speech at one of these cities when he travels across the United States, the person that he's stumping for is up on stage very, very briefly. Otherwise, it's the president up there talking about what he talked about in 2016, talking about 2020. He's making it all about himself. So for voters who are in that base of the president who's sitting with 46 percent support right now, although it's likely closer to the low 40s, uh, those people are standing there going out to vote saying, look, we have to vote for Republicans, but mostly we have to vote for the leader of the Republican Party, and that's Donald Trump. So he's made it a referendum about himself. 
Global's Reggie Cicchini joining us from Washington. Reggie, I uh, hope we can get some time with you over the next couple of days because the next 48 hours are sure to be fascinating in terms of U.S. politics and how this election goes down. We always appreciate your time and your insight. Thank you. Reggie Cicchini joining us from Washington, D.C. Greg Mackling, Loren McNabb. It is the start. Brett McGarry has the day off. Don't worry. He'll be back tomorrow. The group of doctors who work with Manitoba's Life Flight program are experiencing serious concerns about the possibility the province could privatize our air ambulance services, Loren. Well, this all goes back to earlier this year when the Conservative government put out a request for proposals for private firms to operate Manitoba's airplane ambulance. And they run up to 500 trips per year to areas outside a 200-kilometer radius of Winnipeg. But they're really crucial in those northern and more remote communities when when someone's in an emergency and you need to get them to a hospital. In a letter obtained by Global News, the doctors who work with the Life Flight program wrote to the health minister to say that privatization removes a safeguard, that it will create two tiers of care in Manitoba and slower response times because rules for private planes and where they can land are different. The 17 doctors concluding they're, quote, not prepared to work in an environment that provides substandard patient care and increases risk to patients and providers. Now, the doctors have asked the health minister for a meeting. We've asked the health minister to respond to their letter and their various serious concerns. In the meantime, we do know the largest union in Manitoba, MGEU, the opposition, and of course the Liberals, have all appealed to the province to hear those concerns. Now, for those that might be wondering, I thought we had STARS or something. Don't conflate the two. STARS is the helicopter service that provides service and brings folks that are critically injured on a scene and brings them to a Winnipeg hospital in most cases. So these are two very different services. These are I know, fixed-wing planes. Correct. So, And I know even in our newsroom there was some confusion about which is which. Judy Klassen is the MLA for Kiwetnook, which includes many of the northern communities that would rely on Life Flight, and she joins us now. Good morning, Judy Klassen. Good morning. So what do you make of this letter and uh, the changes uh, that that we're anticipating from the government or potential changes? Uh, First of all, I'd really like to thank those doctors for penning that letter. You know, my heart is so overjoyed that they have done that because province needs to know that this is critical. These are my people's lives. So we have asked the province to respond to this letter and we're waiting and hopefully we'll get that response. We do know the province has said, the Conservatives and, and the Infrastructure Minister at the time said they wouldn't go to the privatization if the if the private bidder couldn't prove that it would be able to keep the service as safe as it is right now. But one of the biggest concerns that I know the Liberals have raised and then the doctors again in this letter is the safety requirements on gravel runways. And I think there's at least 23 communities, Judy, that have that crushed gravel where planes land. What's the difference between how it works right now and how it would work if we were under a private system? Well, the first thing after they've said that, they go and cut our airport's maintenance budget by $2 million. All my communities have gravel. I had asked the minister once if he would put in um, asphalt runways or and he just laughed at that in, in committee and said so since he's uh, cutting two million there's no hopes that that will ever be entertained and it's it's just going to complicate so much because you know, we, we rely on these services to get our people to safety. You know, I wish Pallister would go back to when he felt 
in the States there and broke his arm, wondering if help will ever come and that complete fear. You know, that's what our people go through in Ju- a critical situation. Judy, you're paying, painting uh, quite the picture there in terms of uh, a situation that certainly Premier Pallister could relate to and, and some of us personally may have had experiences like this. How does it work right now in terms of someone that may be critically ill that needs to be flown out of a northern community? Can you kind of walk us through the timeline and the logistics of, of what needs to take place in order to get that person the type of health care that they require? Well, it's exactly like if you walk into an emergency room, assessment is done, and let's say it happens in maybe five communities. Who is ever the most most at risk will be flown out. Um, so if, if someone's going into labor in St. Teresa Point, for example, and then, but then there's a critical accident that happens in God's Lake Narrows, They'll do an assessment based on who's more at stake. So they'll go to the most traumatic person first. And so you're already playing a waiting game. There is already a a two-tiered system because there's only so many ambulances, that air ambulances that we have. And it's, it's just quite very frustrating. You know, I've seen people wait up to 12 hours for their life flight, never mind try and privatize all this, and how is that going to work? The reason why there's that concern, I'm reading from this doctor's note, is an additional concern of transport delays because under Transport Canada guidelines, uh, a private commercial air service has to do, uh, cannot land on a gravel airway the same way, or gravel runway the same way a, a public one but can just because of the rules. Is that right, Judy? So that, that they, the private industry wouldn't be able to land at some of these places in their current aircraft and therefore they'd have to go to a smaller aircraft or one that might be a little bit slower in order to meet the rules, which again is adding another delay to the process? Correct. That's my understanding is that um, certain planes can't land and pilots are always timing out and, um, you know, it just create a lengthier delay when patients are at their most critical and most vulnerable. These are ambulances. They're not just regular appointments. They're ambulances. And to have to go through that worry and wonder if you're ever going to be picked up, you know, it's just quite frustrating and it's quite heartbreaking Judy, we even have that stress. Judy Klassen is the MLA for Kuwaitanuk as she uh, joins us now. We're talking about the potential change to air ambulance service and its privatization uh, proposal from the province. We've been talking about this for some time, but it seems to be closer than ever, Judy. You mentioned a terminology, and I caught it, not sure what it meant, so that means some of our listeners may have as well. Pilots timing out, what does that mean? Pilots um, have, uh, they, they can't, um, work regular hours the way we can. <laughs> um, they're limited in shifts, um, and that's just to keep everything safe. Right? If they can't work a 12-hour day the way we can. So there's already a constraint uh, within the within the current system in terms of availability of pilots and aircraft. Is that is that what you're stating? Yes. So this letter was written by 17 doctors who are part of the Physicians of Life Flight Manitoba Air Ambulance. One of their points is that aeromedicine is an elegant blending of the fields of medicine and aviation, and they object to a lack of medical consultation 
in this process. Again, we've reached out to the health minister for comment on this, on whether or not they actually have consulted with any of the doctors who run these or help work on these air flight planes. He has said in the past that they're going to focus on safety, that safety will still remain a priority, but it's still not clear if they're walking towards a path of privatization for these air flight services. Judy Clausen is an MLA for Kiwatnik, a member of the Liberal Party. Thank you very much, Judy. Thank you. Have a great day. You too, Judy. Thank you. Coming up to... Bye-bye. One hour of sleep was supposed to be extra. But one of our listeners saying, Loren, this daylight saving time is messing me up. How is it only 8 o'clock? Feels like it should be lunchtime. I was up at 4.30. Sheesh. I was up before the alarm went off, which is super rare for me. And then, of course, I laid there for that extra 19 minutes or whatever, just <laughs> in the hopes that it would feel better. It did not. Before we, we're going to talk Winnipeg Blue Bombers and the playoff run is coming up in six days. Sure, six days, yeah. I mean, we're already seven, in the Sunday, playoff run? Su- yeah, Sunday to Sunday would be seven, so today would be six days. We'll visit with uh, Bob Irving in just a moment. Some of you may be feeling discombobulated over this uh, time change. Uh, but to start this hour, Loren, we have a statement from the province. Yeah, we were talking in the last segment just about this life flight service and the air ambulance service to northern Manitoba and concerns from doctors that it's potentially going to be privatized and they're basically appealing for the health minister to, to, to put the plan on ice until it can really come up with a better solution. The health minister writing in a statement to CJOB just moments ago that they're working to maintain a vital health service that achieves good value for Manitobans, an effort the previous government failed to ever mount. Our government is interested in hearing from these physicians and look forward to reassuring them that we would never take a step that compromises the level of service life flight offers in any way. And then he ends by saying our office will be reaching out to schedule a meeting with them this week. They wrote that letter October 20th, hearing now that he's planning to schedule a meeting this week. Maybe a little pressure there. Who knows? The Winnipeg Blue Bombers wrapped up their 2018 season on Saturday afternoon in Edmonton. I watched the game or parts of it yesterday. This was the most spectacular play of the game. Streveler, fake handoff, back to pass. And he's going long for Corey Washington. He makes the catch at the Edmonton 40. He's to the 30, and he's gone for a touchdown. Wow. Corey Washington. You also heard Doug Brown's voice there. Doug Brown, Bob Irving, getting ready for Sunday's game in Regina, referred to Saturday's game as a very expensive practice for the Blue Bombers as they get ready for the West semifinal in Regina. Bob Irving, voice of the Blue Bombers, joins us now. Did, could I, could I, did I peg it right there, Bob? Could you call it that? Yeah, glorified preseason game. Uh, call it whatever you want, guys. It was one of those games that I don't think anybody likes to witness. I don't like broadcasting them, quite frankly, because there's nothing at stake. And so there's no sort of uh, anticipation or edge about the outcome of the game. Uh, it was fairly entertaining, though, and lots of offense and high scoring. And Chris Streveler had his moments and hey, now it's behind us and we can get on to the real thing which will happen on Sunday in Regina. Well, Doug Brown commented on the idea that it was an oxymoron to rest a kicker. We'll leave that aside. <laughs> Ryan Lankford uh, proved that the Bombers have a, a viable backup in number 84 should anything happen, knock on wood, to Justin Medlock. But what are you thinking in terms of Sunday? The Blue Bombers obviously dominated the Rough Riders in their final regular season uh, meeting of three games. 
in Winnipeg just a few weeks ago. The Bombers still uh, the hottest team in the, the CFL in, in most senses, Bob, in spite of the loss? Yeah, I think so, Greg. I don't think what happened in Edmonton should uh, take away from the fact that they've won five games in a row. And, you know, we're looking like the best team in, in Canada. The, the three games against Saskatchewan, they only won one, as you say, but the other two, they played very well against the Riders and lost the games because of turnovers, including the Labor Day Classic in Regina. So the Bombers should have lots of confidence going into Sunday's West semifinal, not just because of the five-game win streak, but also because they've played well, they seem to match up well against the Saskatchewan Roughriders. So I think it, the Bombers have a great chance to win the game. It's a tough environment to play in, though. We all know that with the noise factor and all the rest of it. The Riders are coming off a bye, so they'll be well-rested and, and fired up and ready to go. I think it just shapes up as a classic playoff game. And these teams have rarely met in the playoffs in recent years, or the last time they met in the postseason game was 2007, the Grey Cup. Now, part of the reason for that is the Bombers were in the East for a lot of the last 30 years. Uh, the last time they played a playoff game in Regina, incredibly, was 1975, and that's kind of mind-boggling. So uh, I'm amped for it. I think the fans are, and I know the Bomber fans uh, like nothing better than to see their team beat the Saskatchewan Roughriders, and I think they have a very good chance to do it. I wanted to ask, but I guess we don't know if we have to go back to 1975 if we'll see a lot of Bombers fans making that trip, Bob. I know the Riders put out a, a note last week appealing to their fan base to fill those seats so that they could keep that hometown atmosphere. But I feel like the, the, some Bombers fans will make that trek. How much does that play in with this rivalry with these two teams, just that whether or not you have more green or blue in the stands? Yeah, I've seen some tweets, Loren, from fans who say they're going to Regina for the game, but uh, however many go, I don't think it's going to be very many. Uh, it'll be mostly green there on Sunday. I presume the Riders will sell it out. They sell out or come close to selling out most of their games. So it's going to be a noise factory uh, in favor of the Riders and one the Bomber offense is going to have to going to have to deal with and as I say in the in the Labor Day Classic Matt Nichols did a pretty good job of that certainly in the first half the Bombers dominated that game and then Saskatchewan came on to win we don't know if Zach Kolaris will be able to play quarterback for the Riders uh the word I get out of Regina is uh, he's he's going to try to practice this week and and should get clearance to play so there's some question marks but in terms of the crowd uh it'll be largely pro Saskatchewan Andrew Harris claimed his second consecutive rushing title uh, with uh, a spectacular run. He did it with an exclamation mark. Uh, I guess it was about the fifth play of the game on Saturday afternoon. Bob, he saluted the crowd, and <laughs> that was it. He was out of the game. He is going to be, in my opinion, the key to whatever happens and whatever fortunes the Blue Bombers have on Sunday. Do you see it similarly or differently? Oh, no, for sure. Everything that the Bombers do on offense kind of runs through number 33. And, uh, Greg, I think he was saluting his offensive line when he left that game, not so much uh, the crowd, because the O-line, and he's talked about it all year, have done such a great job of paving the way for him to get all those yards. And Mike O'Shea struggled with whether or not to even play Andrew Harris in Edmonton, but he decided to to give him a chance to win the rushing title. He knew that was important to him. As soon as he caught the yards, he ran off the field, and that was the agreement before the game. As soon as you get your eight yards, boom, you're you're out of there. But of course, he'll be critically important to what the Bombers do on offense, and you know the Riders will be keeping a very close eye on.
Bob, I'm sure you'll be sick of uh, speaking to us by the time game time comes around, but can you set up the broadcast for us so people can plan their Sunday accordingly? The game kicks off at 3.30 Manitoba time, so Doug and I will be on the air at 1. We'll give you two and a half hours of, well, I think it'll be high-quality pregame setup, and then at 3.30 we'll uh, we'll launch this West semifinal game, the winner of which goes on to Calgary to try to earn a spot in the Grey Cup. Boy, it's a tough road, guys, for the Blue Bombers to have to win road games in Regina and Calgary, and if they can do that, hey, hats off to them. Bob Irving, thank you so much for this, as always. And uh, as I mentioned, we look forward to speaking with you throughout the week. It's exciting time. Anytime the Bombers and the Rough Riders play, the first time in the playoffs, as you mentioned, since the Grey Cup in 2007, there won't be any redemption for that. Uh, only a Grey Cup win will even get close to redemption for 2007. But uh, it would go a long way if we went into their house and, uh, and took one away from them. Bob, talk to you later. Okay, anytime, you guys. think 16 year olds should be allowed to vote how about residents who've yet to establish canadian citizenship those two questions are going to be debated tonight at winnipeg's largest school division where a winnipeg trustee will ask the board to put in a formal request to the minister of education to try to discuss changing the school board's election act which would then allow lowering the voting age just for voting on school trustees and as well as allowing voting for newcomers who may not yet have Canadian citizenship. Mark Wasiliu is the trustee behind the motion and joins us on the phone now. Good morning, Mark. Oh, that's me. I got to press the button. I'm I'll not try used that to... again. Good morning, Mark. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> Sorry, Mark. I'm not used to sitting in Brett's chair here, so I got to press more buttons. Uh, I'm sort of frazzled here, so I apologize. Thanks for taking some time with us this morning. Well, what is the uh, idea behind this motion? And, and uh, maybe give us an idea of on its origins, if you wouldn't mind. Well, it, it's a couple things. Uh, the Winnipeg School Division has the, long, uh, the largest newcomer population in Manitoba, and, and it's growing. Uh, I think the numbers, the last numbers I saw is that there's 67,000 Winnipeggers uh, who are uh, not Canadian citizens but live here, often own property, pay taxes here, and are not allowed to vote. Uh, in school board's elections, and of course your school trustee decides uh, about half of your property tax bill and, and whether it goes up or down or what happens to it. And newcomer students go to our schools and they, they have to get educated in our system. Uh, and so this is about giving them a voice. Um, it doesn't really make a lot of sense if you live here and this is your life, uh, but you just haven't gone through the Canadian citizenship process, which could take years, that you should be denied a say at, at your local school and how much you pay taxes. So that's part of it. And the other part of it is uh, voting age uh, uh, being dropped for 16 for our students. Um, our students obviously uh, have to live with the consequences of the decisions we make. And we know people aren't voting in school board elections. I think the, um, uh, the rate was less than 50% this election. It keeps dropping. Uh, and there's lots of um, research out there that shows that once people actually start voting, uh, it becomes a habit and they will vote again. But if you can't get them to vote the first time, uh, nowadays, chances are they're never going to vote. 
And the idea is, is by having 16 year olds in our schools voting, it would be structured. It would be part of the curriculum. The whole school would be talking about it. You probably could put um, polling uh, stations in that school and it would be a big deal and everybody would do it because it would be part of sort of the school learning environment. And once they've actually voted, uh, chances are, and the research backs that up, that these students are going to vote more in adult life. And it could be a way to stem the tide of low voter turnout in, in Canadian politics. But it's also fair because they're going to get a direct say as to how their schools are going to be governed and it's going to make trustees take them seriously because if you have massive schools with hundreds and hundreds of students that trustee is going to pay attention to their needs. I want to talk first about the Canadian citizenship idea and allowing people to vote that may not yet have that citizenship. And I think that might be a sticking point for some uh, because it's been so ingrained for decades that that you know you, you have to sort of pledge allegiance to your country in in many ways, and then you get that right to vote. But this would be doing the opposite. So for those that might have a problem with with that, I mean, why do you think that would be okay if someone who had just moved here, say, two weeks ago, suddenly shows up before the vote, and now they get a say? Well, I mean, look at it this way. Right now, you can live in another part of the country and have no connection to Winnipeg. You move to Winnipeg, and as long as you've been here for six months, you're allowed to vote in our, our municipal election. Somehow that's okay. You can take an immigrant who's been here for 30 years and simply hasn't moved from a permanent immigrant status to a full citizen. They paid taxes here for 30 years. They put all their kids through the school system for 30 years, and they can't get a say. Uh, there's something wrong about that. And under the current uh, act, Right now, we allow cottage owners who don't actually live in another municipality to vote. They get a second vote in a municipality, not their own, uh, to vote, say, in Gimli or or Winnipeg Beach or wherever, uh, because they own property there, even though they don't go to the schools, they don't use the local businesses outside the summer, uh, yet you know, we're going to die people who actually live in our city, who work, pay taxes, uh, and send their kids to schools the right to vote. So there's, there's a disconnect there. Mark, I think that's a great point and one that I wanted to mention that it's not unprecedented for those that do not live in a community to get the right to vote uh, on civic matters, including school uh, board and school trustees. Uh, The one you mentioned and the the opposite is also true if you happen to own, say, a a rental property or revenue property that you don't live in inside the city of Winnipeg and say you live in uh, in Oak Bank or another part of the province, you can uh, fill out paperwork that allows you to vote in the civic election. I want to go to this other question about 16-year-olds. Are you suggesting that 16-year-olds also get to to vote in a civic, provincial, or federal election, or just in these school trustee elections? Because I I like the reasons that that you're bringing it up, and I I certainly uh, appreciate the the points that you're making uh, in terms of the benefits that it may have long-term. Yeah. Well, many countries around the world now are looking at their age restrictions for voting, and and there's a movement to move down towards 16. And I think uh, if we do that on on a national level, you're going to see voter turnout increase. But I'm a school trustee for the Winnipeg School Division. I'm concerned about uh, the act that governs our elections called the Municipal Councils and School Boards Elections Act. So what I'm hoping to convince our board and then the province is at least try it out for school boards. And I think if we do it for a few elections with school boards, people will be comfortable with the idea and they'll see results. And then we can have a conversation about whether we should do it at the provincial or federal level. So the next step tonight, the meeting is just a debate to see if this motion passes. And then you would go to the province for a meeting to see if what could be done to lower the voting age for school trustees. 
Well, they have the power, and uh, there's there's a municipal uh, election back in Manitoba, and they could change it tomorrow if, if they want, but it's obviously not on their radar. So this motion is to get the conversation started in, in Winnipeg, and uh, hopefully uh, we can convince them that this is a good idea and uh, and that we need their help to do it. I mean, uh, if they say no, they say no, but I think uh, this is the way we start the conversation. I really uh, appreciate you extending and starting the conversation with us, Mark, this morning. Thanks very much, as yeah. always, for your time. Thank you. Good morning. Mark Wasiliu is the trustee behind the motion to that would allow, or at least the conversation, is to discuss the potential to allow those that have yet to establish Canadian citizenship the opportunity to vote in school trustee elections here in the city of Winnipeg and the potential for 16-year-olds to be allowed to vote. What do you think of that? It's interesting. I mean, I, I, I think that it's what we talk about. If I pay taxes, do I get a say or no? Yeah, I flipped around the last uh, three hours. Didn't actually take that long. Uh, you know, that's why we have these discussions because it's not always uh, a black and white. You could put discussion. different constraints if there's if you have an issue with age or if you have an issue with. I'm not so sure about 16 being ready. I, I really would have to think about that more. But I, the citizen citizenship issue. Why am I struggling with that word this morning? Uh, but you the, and I both. Holy. The that is an issue. I don't know if you've lived here for years, and many have, and just don't have citizenship, but pay taxes. Is that the line for you? If you have a property tax bill, I think absolutely you should get the vote. The Start On Demand is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.